Now, though, we're going to turn our attention to um, that horrible earthquake recently uh, that affected both Turkey and Syria. We've covered it extensively on the programme there. Just last week, we had Jesuit father Tony O'Reardon on, on his work there near Aleppo. But I'm delighted to say we're joined this morning on the line by Mary Cotlin, who is one of those organising a big event in Galway to support the victims of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Mary, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. How is it going? All good, Mary. All good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mary, so, talk, talk to us about this uh, event that you're holding there in Leisureland. A huge array of artists all rallying together in order to ne- raise much-needed funds for the people affected by this earthquake in Turkey yeah. and Syria. Well, I, I heard a lady called Anna O'Rourke on the news um, about 10 days ago now. Um, actually, it was Wednesday week. And... Um, she was talking about how her life had been affected there. She ran a small refugee camp um, on the, in Ishmir for Syrian refugees um, affected by the war. And then all hell broke loose after the, the earthquake. So she had a few thousand refugees there. And then it kind of morphed into 26,000, 30,000. She was having daily influxes of thousands of people with no clothes, no food, um, She was particularly distressed to find a young woman with a four-day-old baby standing in their underwear that walked 40 kilometres to get to her place. And um, that's it's been going on every day, and that's just in one place. So I've spoken to Anne every single day since. Uh, Her husband, Tom, was down there last week to help her out. She's a volunteer, like, you know, she's just been there for six years volunteering. And... uh, he was uh, telling me yesterday some rather more distressing, you know, stuff. You know, they had they had money, but it's gone. And uh, um, a friend of mine, Eilish Defrica, has raised money through an art auction that she had on Instagram. She sent the money down. Um, we shared her GoFundMe link, and then I decided to Asher. I'll ring Leisureland <laughs> and see what they put. There was no venues available in Dublin. Yeah. Uh, because they're all booked out. So I uh, we got Leisureland. Uh, Googie from uh, the Russian Dove um, kind of got Leisureland. And the crew um, are all uh, doing it. For every, it's just all absolutely amazing. Everybody I asked, uh, with the exception of one or two people that were busy, uh, are doing it. And um, it's just like extraordinary the way people uh, just jump jump on board for a for a gig like that when it's and I had to do it really quickly because I'm off to um I'm off to Australia next Monday. Okay. So I had to do it Saturday night. No, I was just so, gonna, uh, you, you did move very fast on it once you did hear Anne O'Rourke and a special mention for her as well. She's doing great work there in in uh, Turkey. She's with the team she International is. Assistance for Integration and they are a charity that help to empower the most vulnerable refugees, women and children. And the only work with women and children, yeah. And because most of their husbands and the men have been lost in the war and missing and killed you know so it's a wonderful thing that she does and they have a lovely education program which they've had to obviously abandon for the moment because now it's just putting clothes and food and mattresses and blankets it's back to that you know and yeah. it's not going to get any better because the the refugees are just getting put on buses to hurry you know um they're being literally pulled out of the rubble and just just going on buses to Ishmir and uh, she happens to be the place that, that most of them are being sent to so she's struggling uh, with her with her um, volunteers but it'll, it'll be great I'm going to go down to her when I uh, come back from Australia in May see what the story is then but in the meantime the gig is selling like hotcakes yeah. and we've decided to put it online as well so we're going to stream it online with a link a, dota- and don- a, dotation, a donation link <laughs> 
Uh, so the people all over the world can watch it and we'll keep it up for a few days and see what happens. So um, there you go. I, I've had um, I've had some difficulties finding accommodation for all of the people that are involved. But uh, Mairead Manifold in Rockbarton Park gave us two rooms. A lady in Barna, Seclusion, gave us two rooms. And the Connacht Hotel have given us two rooms. Yeah. So uh, Massimo's have given us two rooms. So we're shy of about 10 rooms so far. Um, for all of the artists that are traveling all the way down from Dublin and Edinburgh to come and uh, give their services for free because artists are amazing, as we've always known. They always do whatever they can for people in need. Well, they always so, step up to the plate, really. Um, shout this out this morning now <laughs> on Galway Bay for um, <laughs> lovely, uh, lovely, 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 kind hoteliers, bed and breakfast, whatever. Uh, Gives a room for the night. <laughs> <laughs> I need about 10 rooms, you know, because um, I'm sure it'll happen. Yeah, I've no, I no doubt it will. Uh, just talk to us, though, because you were mentioned there that artists are, are very good at stepping up to the plate in terms of these kind of things. We've seen it in the past on an international level with the likes of Band-Aid, but even on the local level and on an Irish level, they've never been found wanting. And all the people that you, you've mentioned here uh, that'll be featuring uh, on us yourself, Sharon Shannon, there's Limo Amwainley and friends and Tracy Bruin, Alton Conlon, Susan O'Neill, Francis Black Mundy, uh, Hector, like the list goes on. Yeah, I don't think Sharon is actually going to be able to make it, but that's okay. a different. That's, there's plenty others, and uh, Keila, I'm really looking forward to, and and we're all going to do the All Star Jam at the end, of course, don't you know? Mm, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's there's a new there's a choir, the ACU choir is uh, are going to be uh, entertaining people. They're uh, from Galway, mm. and uh, I think there's a couple more. The amazing apples have been added. I've been looking at them; they're brilliant. And probably one or two acts will be added over the next few days. So it's um, it's going to be a huge night. We won't be taking the interval. Um, Hector is going to uh, do the raffle, mm. uh, huge raffle prizes. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I haven't got a list of them in front of me, but I know there's dinners and bed and breakfast. I, I know there's dinners and and uh, and lots of stuff uh, being being offered for to raffle. Hector's going to do MC. He's just back from, I think he's back from the Middle East, and he said no problem, he would do it. So that's going to be a bit of crack. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, artists are amazing. I mean, you know, I kind of said that during the lockdown, we always do what we're asked to do, and we do it very well, if I may say so myself, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. it's not easy pulling uh, 10 or 12 bands at a moment's notice, yeah. you know, together. But some of them actually cancelled other stuff to do it, you know. Because it was so important, they all said, uh, Monday and and uh, one of the guys from Kia said, "Look, we really wanted to do something, but we didn't know what to do." Mm. So I said, "Well, here it is. <laughs> here, here it is. Here's your opportunity." <laughs> Very yeah, good. So no, I was just going to say to you, I, I, I which is great, you know, um, with Galway's hosting us, which is great. Yeah. No, important. I, I must say it's important to, to mention as well that Galway has done great work in relation to this particular appeal. I know that the Turkish barbers in town, Remzi and, and, and crew, have taken a whole host of donations which are being sent out to the affected area there in, in the Turkey, Syria region. And also the likes of Galway Mountain Rescue have, have done fundraisers as well. So there, there's a lot of support locally for the people out there here in Galway. And 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 because I think people um, people you know traditionally have gone to Turkey for their holidays for having a great time and weddings and honeymoons and stuff like that and it's you know it's just you know it's just a beautiful country and um, 
the people are, are just so devastated. Now, that young woman that I mentioned the other day, she's lost every single member of her family except her, her little baby. Um, it's not going to be easy to rebuild people's lives. You know, you can put sticking plasters on it for now. And, uh, you know, Anne and her husband and her, ref and her friends, uh, her, her, her volunteers, who are themselves refugees, uh, will do everything they can to make life bearable for them uh, for now. And then it'll move on to uh, bigger uh, things like housing and education and psychological help and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. So it's probably not the first time um, I'll be calling on people. I'm going to go there, I said, as it, I come back, I'm going to Australia for for 21 gigs <laughs> in, on the next day. <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishments. I'm coming home and then I'm flying out uh, to Sydney on Monday morning. I'll be back and then I'm going to go down to see her and um, see what can be done. And on the, see on the way I'm back, is it? Yeah, yeah. I'll get back to you with a full report Do. about... Uh, yeah. No, we'll look so, forward to that. So in the meantime, uh, roll up, roll up all the hotels in Galway. I would mm. say just rooms, please. Bed and breakfast. We don't care where we sleep. We just I can't I can't ask people to pay for um, their own accommodation after travelling down to Galway. I mean, I could ask them, and <laughs> they probably would, but I don't really want to. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, we have the call out here now. <laughs> anyway, you there now in Galway? Yeah, yeah. Well, if they do, <laughs> if anyone, any hoteliers or B and Bs, and that do have some room or space available, get in contact with us here at oh eight six thirty eight thirty three fifty five three. I will definitely uh, forward your details on to Mary there and she can uh, arrange for the artist to stay there from there. But uh, Mary, I must say to you, I, I had the pleasure of seeing yourself and some of the other people that will be in this, uh, this the big gig in Galway for the earthquake victims. I saw you at the Newport 300. So I know first oh, I, can, I can give you my, my recommendation here. It's going to be a great day of music, a great night of music and uh, there's going to be great crack as well. Brilliant. Okay, thanks for the, for the shout out. No hassle, no hassle at all. Mary Cockton joining us there. And Mary, have a very good morning and uh, best luck in Australia as well when you do go there. Thanks very much. See you all in Galway soon. Next Saturday, in fact. Bye. Great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Mary. So the, the details of that, you can get it there on uh, the roisindove.net and also on ticketmaster.ie. And for more information on the charity, it's T, it's T-I-A-F-I dot org. That's the Team International Assistance for Integration. They're doing the work there in Turkey and Syria. The, Price of tickets as well, they're 40 euro and there'll be a raffle on the night being emceed by Hector as well. So that's Mary Cotlin. A great initiative and it's nice to see that uh, the Galway artists are not being found wanting and they're stepping up to the plate there. Let's hear a bit of music from the woman herself. <laughs>
That's Invisible to You by Mary Cotlin and that event of course taking place this Saturday in Leisureland. That's tickets 40 quid. You can get them from roisindove.net and also ticketmaster.ie for more information on the charity involved. That's Team International Assistance for Integration. They're doing great work there, that charity in Turkey uh, with vulnerable refugees, women and children. Uh, they help them to find the peace, security and respect that they deserve. Uh, T-I-A-F i.org is the information for that charity there. Still to come on today's programme, public meeting in Ballinasloe to discuss region imbalance and reversing road decline. We'll be speaking with Chris McManus, MEP, up next. And also we'll be getting reaction to that new conversion practices report. LGBT Ireland CEO Paula Fagan will be with us a little later on in the 10 o'clock hour. Before we go to a quick break, let's get some more of your texts here. Uh, the N59 through my Cullen, a total disaster. 30 minutes to get from village traffic lights to temporary lights near Barna Road. Turn off. Councillors have promised limited disruption. Absolutely awful. And to continue for eight more weeks. And also, good morning. Could you please ask the powers at B when the new line road in Athenry Town will be completed? It's a serious accident waiting to happen. Bridge at the end of new line was made one way to traffic a while ago and folk are under impression that the whole of the new line road is all one way where in fact it starts at the bridge. No signs to indicate the start of the one-way system. I live in the last estate on this road, and when I turn right out of my estate, I cannot tell you how many head-on collisions I've escaped. Bad and all as the bridge was when it was open to two-way traffic, it was safer than how it has been left at the moment with no signs. Have a nice day. That comes in from one of our listeners there. And another question here, are the traffic lights... Uh, working on the Headford Road, a listener uh, has uh, texted into us there, so we'll see if we can find out what's going on there with the traffic light system on the Headford Road. We'll get back to you um, with maybe our colleagues there in the traffic report. But all uh, that we've mentioned there, what's coming up on the programme, and also we'll be giving you some more details of uh, the Bohemore programme. I'll run through some of the running order on who we've got lined up, a great uh, array of guests. But first, I'm going to give you the chance to win because I'm in a very generous mood today and we're all in a very generous mood here. Thanks to Mubles. Uh, they're based in the Briar Hill Business Park. And Mubles, winter stock clearance sale is now on. Everything must go to make way for their new stock, which will be arriving shortly. To win a 100 euro voucher, uh, which can be used in store or at the Mubles Cafe, we need you. Are you all ready? Text the word SALE and your name and address, and we'll get in contact with you. So that's 086-38-33553. 086-38-33553. That's our text and WhatsApp number. With thanks to Rationale, choosing new windows and doors can be a challenge, but a showroom near you, experience the full range of Alucad options for yourself. Quality is Rationale. So uh, thanks indeed to our our competition uh, runners Mubles here. So if you want to get in contact with the programme and have a chance to win uh, that uh, voucher, 100 euro voucher every day we're giving away here, text the word SALE to our text and WhatsApp number. Join us after the break. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. A very good morning to you. Welcome back into today's programme. Now, we're looking at a public meeting which is taking place in Ballinasloe today to discuss regional imbalance and reversing rural decline. And it's being hosted uh, here by Chris McManus, MEP, and he joins us indeed on the line. Chris, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you and good morning to your listeners. 
Um, MEP McManus, talk to us about this meeting in Ballinasloe later on this evening. I know that there'll be contributions made by Claire Grant, TD, and Councillor Dermot Connolly and other representatives in the local community. And it's being held in Galan's Hotel in Ballinasloe. Talk to us about the meeting, though. Uh, what is it going to be focused on, obviously, regional imbalance and reversing rural decline? What particulars do you want to see done? Well, obviously, addressing the decline... Uh of our region has long been a priority for Sinn Féin and indeed those from many other political groups and community uh, groups as well. Uh, I think it's clear to any of us who live in our part of the world west of the Shannon over the past number of decades that our region has suffered from neglect and, and a lack of investment in infrastructure and key public services. So what we're doing in Galans this evening at 8pm is, is, is hosting a meeting. Uh, we will have inputs as you said from not only Sinn Féin representatives but from community rural and farming groups but we want engagement with the with members of the public uh, because quite too often uh, uh, you know po- politicians come in and talk down to communities and what we need is a bottom-up approach what we need to do is is to go out to engage and to listen uh, and to hear what the issues are on the ground. And this is one of a series of, of meetings that I've been doing uh, throughout the region and will be rolling out over the next number of months. And, and I'm doing this in tandem with an approach uh, that we're doing at Brussels level, where we're doing a series of high level of engagements. A couple of weeks ago, I met the commissioner over regional funding, and that is one third of the EU's total budget. Uh, it's 400 million alone in Ireland of uh, uh, ERDF funding, as it's known as, and, and also the chair of the Regional Development Committee, because I want to highlight to them that we have issues in the West of Ireland, that the West of Ireland uh, is now caught in a development trap that the EU themselves have determined this. It's not anecdotal. It's statistical. We have it there. Uh, we're falling behind. We used to be a more developed region. We have now slipped back to one of being in transition. So what we need to do is at a local level at a regional level but uh, also the national level and for myself uh, out in Brussels at a European level is to highlight the needs that we have but not only to highlight that uh, the region is is slipping backwards but ways that hopefully we can uh, uh, move it forward and one of the key things is for uh, there to be political will Uh, We need to stop having lip service about addressing the issues. We need to see definite concrete actions. We need to see, for example, the likes of uh, we're in an area, what's known as the Atlantic Economic Corridor. We need to see that that is prioritised. And one of those, the ways that we can do it is by trying to engage and build the transport and infrastructure needs that we have. We have a fine service of Knock Airport on our doorstep and what we need to be doing is making sure that that is an integral uh, regional and hopefully at once in the near future an international transport hub. And But that needs to be part of a wider transport uh, infrastructure uh, and by doing things like that, by ensuring that we're part of uh, what's known as the 10T core network, uh, which will then access EU funding for our ports, our airports, our roads and our rail. And we need to see the, West, the likes of the Western Rail Corridor also as a, an integral part of what we're doing. Then that we can try and build the infrastructure that ensures that the entrepreneurs, that the SMEs, that hopefully both domestic and, and, and foreign investment will see that the western part of Ireland is a good place to invest. And by extension, then what we're doing is creating new mm. jobs and ensuring that our young families stay in our part of Ireland. You mentioned the 10T funding. We've notably been excluded from that. Absolutely, uh, and, and I said this, and, and I talk to people out in Brussels at a very senior level. And when you, you know, mention 
to them the possibility of the west of ireland being involved in the 10t core network which is 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 critical if we're to try and build the infrastructure i've talked about they shrug their shoulders and and, and you know they're, they're letting you know is the issue is not at their end the issue is at dublin government end not coming forward and saying we want to be included in that because at the end of the day that's that's all they can do. They will open the door, but they have to, you know, they have to. The government have to say we want to step through the store and include the Atlantic Economic Corridor uh, and the West of Ireland in the Ten T Core Network. It hasn't. It isn't happening as of now, uh, and I think we're we're missing a golden opportunity. You mentioned Ireland West Airport Knock as well. There has been some progress there in terms of getting that uh, flight corridor to Heathrow, which opens up the American market as well. Absolutely, and I want to congratulate them on that initiative. They've worked hard to get to get to this point. Uh, actually, I had a, a meeting with them a number of weeks ago, and this was one of the things that we talked about. But also the need for 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 them to further develop, the need to see the relaxation of state state aid guidelines. You know, they want to build a whole business hub uh, around Knock Airport, and for them to be able to do that, they need to have that government assistance. So Knock Airport is an integral part of what we're what what we need. Uh, in in the west of Ireland, and we need to see it with, alongside with a Western Rail corridor, with uh, a hub connecting to Knock Airport, which which will massively open uh, the you know that whole uh, Western Gateway from hopefully from ultimately from Derry all the way to Sligo to Galway down through Limerick, uh, and 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 open up because at the minute, unfortunately, it seems that. Uh, all all roads, all rail lines in this case lead to Dublin. And it says we need to go, you know, we, we look at the success of the NSAT and Rye line uh, and we see that there, there there is a demand for it. So hopefully we get, you know, Athen Rye to tune to Clare Morris uh, in the very near future, the possibility of it. But we can't stop there. It has to continue up towards Sligo. And ultimately we have to look at, you know, moving on to an all-Ireland uh, rail network and, and continuation up through Donegal to Derry. But, but we have to see government will. We have to see the political will in addressing this. We have to stop this this thing at senior government and and the uh, civil service sector of everything being Dublin centric, everything being about the eastern region. You know, when we look at and and I'm not in any way saying they don't need it, but when we look at the billions that have been you know earmarked for Metro North, and then we look at the possibility of the Western Rail corridor. The Bradley report indicated that two, just under 200 million would move that project along massively. And, you know, we're not second-class citizens down in the west of Ireland. We, we, we we're as entitled to the same uh, access to services as any other citizens in any other part of the state. You know, we too want good public transport. We too want to ensure that uh, we have the ability for job creation, that we have the, uh, you know, that we can retain our, our postal services, that we can ensure that we have uh, adequate numbers for our schools so that these things are all retained. But these things can only be done if we're making sure that we have a way of of reversing population decline that bring in bringing people back to the west of ireland that young families uh, can can get it can have jobs can create homes and build their families uh, in the communities that they come from that is all that we're trying to do yeah. and that's what this meeting is about this evening yeah and i'm sure government will point to the fact that the national broadband plan is rolling out albeit maybe slower than some would like but that's that's going to feed into that as well i just have a comment in here though from one of our listeners though uh, we're on about arnwood airport knock this meeting is taking place in balance slow what about galway airport well look i'd like to see as many as many local and regional 
local airports as possible maximise their potential. Um, as I said, you, we have got Shannon Airport, we have got Knock Airport, we have an airport in my hometown of Sligo that I too would uh, like to see, you know, be able to fulfil its potential and at some stage, like Galway Airport, uh, have a possibility of of a scheduled uh, uh, flights uh, at some stage. Um, as I said, I, I uh, you know I think it's a good thing that we maximise uh, we maximise whatever transport we can. Obviously, the I think the immediacy would be rail and roads uh, would would be important. But as I said, our airlines should also and our airports should also be ensured that they're looked at. Now, there is that All-Ireland Rail Review. Uh, there have been some leaks from it, or what we understand to be included in it. I, I know the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, is highlighting the fact that he does want to see the Atlantic corridor reopen for cargo, and at least uh, up the way to Clamoris, um, and from there on to, to Ballina as well, uh, connecting their Wexford up to, as far as Ballina via rail. And then there would be the potential for um, the passenger line to be opened up after that. Is that something you're welcoming? I know we're still waiting for that review pendant on Stormont being uh, re-up uh, up and running. Well, obviously, you know, there's a, there's been quite a strong indication that the, the next phases of the Western Rail Corridor from uh, Athen Wright to Chim up to Clare Morris will be included uh, as part of that All-Island Rail Review. Uh, and obviously, I'd welcome that. Uh, anything that opens up uh, further rail transport and tries to take vehicles off the road where possible is to be welcomed. But I don't think we can stop there. As I said, it's, I think it's integral that ultimately uh, we work towards uh, seeing that continuation to through Charlestown up into Tubbercurry, Caluni, and then from Sligo to continue all ultimately up through Donegal and, and into Derry, uh, because Letterkenny to Derry has has also been uh, suggested that it'll be part of that all in rail review. So yeah, of course, one's going to welcome it, but is it enough? Uh, I, I don't think it is. I think we need to set the bar high. I think we need to ensure we maximise uh, rail transport where possible. Um, and that would be my long-term thinking, and that's what I'm highlighting out in Brussels. There have been other areas where there's been improvements, so it's just look at the uh, Docklands projects, which is getting underway in Galway and which is moving nicely. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, Minister Ryan last week announced a number of new bus routes throughout the throughout the twenty six counties, and they're all to be welcome. You know, and just because you know one's in opposition doesn't mean uh, government initiatives uh, won't uh, won't be welcomed uh, where appropriate. Uh, and I and I think any move forward and any progress is to be done. I also think though that we do need to have an integrated west of Ireland strategy, especially especially regarding rural transport, and that's in regards to not only rural link and, as I said before, the, the, the rail lines, uh, but one that's, you know, is, is, is not profit-driven because, like, if everything becomes profit-driven, uh, that will be a, a, a backward step for rural Ireland. Yeah, just give us the details. I know you're meeting there in Golan's Hotel in Ballinasloe uh, this evening. What time is proceedings kicking off there? Uh, 8 o'clock in Galan's in Ballinasloe and, and everybody's welcome and as I said the more uh, contributions we have from the floor the better as I said I, this is part of a listening process this is part of getting out and engaging with communities uh, and hearing what the real issues on the ground are Now before I let you go I've just got a text in from one of our listeners could you ask Mr McManus has the same plan for the Galway ring road been submitted to Amboor Planola as it was already turned down by them? 
Well, I don't, I, I don't know the intricate details regarding the, the Galway Ring Road. As I said, I would be favourably disposed towards it and as long as it's worked in tandem with massive enhancement of public transport in around the city and the surrounding areas, I, I, I think it's, it's a project that should go ahead. Very good. Well, uh, MEP Chris McManus, thank you for joining us here on Galway Talks. Thank you, Keith. And if anyone wants to go down to that meeting there in Ballinasloe, as we mentioned there, it's in Golan's Hotel in Ballinasloe this evening. So a public meeting there. You'll hear from the likes of Christmas McManus himself there, MEP, who will be speaking. He's hosting the event. And you'll also hear from the likes of Claire Curran, TD, and Councillor Dermot Connolly as well, as well as a whole host of other representatives of the local community organisations. Plenty of you are still texting in sale uh, for our competition there with Mubles, a hundred euro voucher up for grabs there. So please do keep getting your texts into our text and WhatsApp line. That's 086 38 That's brought to you with thanks to Rationale. We'll be looking at the conversion practices report after these. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. A very good morning to you. Welcome back into today's programme. Now, on the programme, we're turning our attention to this uh, new conversion practices report. LGBT Ireland has welcomed the publication by the government of the new research on conversion therapy practices in Ireland, produced by academics from Trinity College Dublin. The report highlights the clear evidence that conversion practices pose a significant risk to mental health. The report notes that considerable research has largely concluded that sexual orientation changes efforts are pseudo scientific, ineffective and harmful to the individual. Furthermore, the research shows that conversion therapy places an individual under severe mental strain and is associated with depression, distress, forced isolation and suicidal behaviour. Research participants wrote about the negative psychological effects of conversion practices using words such as traumatising, destructive, anxiety-provoking, horrendous, harmful and damaging. And to discuss this further, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the programme now by LGBT Ireland's CEO, Paula Fagan. Paula, a very good morning to you. Good morning, John. How are you? Very good. Very good, Paula. Paula, give us your reaction to this uh, document published by the government on the conversion practices. Um, It's really highlighting the negative impacts that that practice has. It is indeed, yes. It really confirms... John, what we already knew that conversion practices are harmful, they're dangerous and that they need to be banned in Ireland. Um, So I think the research really backs up what we've been calling for, that is that the government needs to urgently introduce legislation that bans these practices in Ireland. Um, And they have committed to do that in the programme for government. So I think this report really starkly confirms the need to do that and to do that urgently. Why has there been a delay so far on this? I think, John, I think that's what I suppose that's why the government wanted they commissioned this research to find out really about how it's happening in Ireland. So I think people recognise that it's a really harmful practice. And I think the government wanted to get the evidence to see where it's happening, how it's happening. And then that that's what will inform the legislation, how they'll that's how they'll, I suppose, really develop how they can ban this practice. And I think what we've seen from other countries and we know ourselves is that it it will go beyond. I think the legislation is the first vital step. But then we need to look at, well, why why are families doing this? Why are religious-based, you know, faith groups doing this? Why are communities doing this? And, And we need to educate people and really 
for people to understand the really deep harm that it has on anyone that's exposed to these practices and also for their family members and, and for wider society, it's it's really, really harmful. And that's why I think the government recognised legislation is needed, but also then I think other measures are needed as well if we're going to create a society where people understand that people's sexual orientation or gender doesn't need to be changed. Now, considering the fact that we had uh, gay marriage uh, passed, I know that was um, via a constitutional change and a referendum, but considering we're that far ahead, uh, back, I believe, 2015, wasn't it? And it's taken Mm. this long for the legislation on on different aspects that affect the LGBT community to to catch up. It's quite uh, remarkable, really. It is. I mean, the marriage equality referendum was a huge step forward for us, and, and not just, I suppose, the change in in legislation, but also the reaction of the country that people, I suppose, LGBT people saw, tangibly saw the support that's there. So that was massive. So I think that's a very important moment for Ireland and and really for globally as well. I think Ireland's up to now um, uh, as a great hope. So this is, these legislative steps are very important now that we catch up because that was such a big moment for us. I think we really need to, put the protections in place so that nobody is exposed to conversion practices in Ireland. So that's the next step. Do you know what I mean? So I think, yeah, I think the government needs to keep pushing on and we can't rest on the marriage equality referendum. So it's, it's, we really welcome uh, this commitment from government to, to progress this vital legislation. Yeah, what are the next steps? Now, we have this report which does uh, support uh, the legislative ban on the practice, but what are the next steps? Are we going to committee stages or can we go to the Oireachtas? So what are the next uh, uh, legislative steps on this? Yeah, so we haven't seen legislation yet. So that's the next step. And and the the government were were waiting on this research. So they're they're due to uh, to publish legislation now shortly based on the research findings. And that's really the first... And, and most vital step is that we see the legislation, we see, you know, then we can look at it and other affected communities can look at it and see is it, um, is it effective? And then we will, I suppose, work with the government um, to try and get it as effective as possible. And I think we're 14 other countries now have banned conversion practices. So we're not starting from scratch. There's other countries that we can look to and to see what worked and what didn't. So we're in a good place, if you like, to start developing legislation here. Yeah. And I know the LGBT community is not unique um, in this either, but we are lagging behind in terms of the UN uh, reports on uh, certain uh, human rights thing, whether that be from a disability front or also uh, for people in the LGBT community as well. And the UN Special Repertoire on Freedom of Religion or uh, Belief or a person's sexual orientation or gender identity, it said that it should not be um, treated uh, using uh, practices that harm. So um, the UN report... um, their rapporteur is uh, very much on the side of legislation being considered here in Ireland. They are, yeah. And actually only last week, uh, the the European Human Rights Commissioner called for Ireland and the UK to bring forward a ban um, as a vital first step. So I think it's recognised now in, you know, progressive countries and, and it's recognised globally that the, these practices have to be banned. It's they're just so harmful for everybody involved. Um, so I think the time is now for Ireland, certainly that certainly 
internationally as well, people are saying, look, this needs to happen here. Now, there's another item I'd like to draw to your attention as well, Paula, because it just uh, came, came in overnight, but it's the LGFA and their stance on uh, transgender uh, individuals playing sport. Uh, do you welcome the move that, that's happened there overnight? This is the Ladies Gale of Gaelic Football, Football. Yes. Association, yeah. yeah. So, no, we'd, we'd have concerns about it. Um, I suppose the... the Really what we'd look for is, it seems to be quite um, onerous on young people. They have to get medical reports. Anybody who's trans um, has to get medical reports and go in front of a committee. So that can be, we, you know, obviously the LGFA are trying to do their best, but we really well, we really ask them to, to engage with, with advocacy groups around it. Because what it does is for the very small number of players that are affected, it creates this, I suppose, barrier to, to LGBTI young people practicing sports. So they feel, well, actually, it's too invasive. Um, we're just not going to participate. And I think yeah. we know from research that young LGBTI people are reluctant to participate in sport anyway. So this is just another barrier. Um, I, I read some articles about it yesterday. I recognise that some players are have their concerns so I think it'd be important to keep talking about it I think the concerns of the players that I read about also were said there was a lack of consultation mm. so I'd, I'd, I'd recommend consultation as the way to go and bring people affected who are concerned and also then trans uh, people and their, their family members and really have a, a respectful and fulsome discussion and I think maybe there's better ways to go about it yeah. um, than just this kind of onerous process that you're talking from 12 years upwards, young people having to come with medical certs and, and tests. And I just don't think it, it's the best way forward, but I think people have concerns. So it's important. I'd really encourage further consultation. Yeah. Just to give people who might not be aware of this uh, a bit of background, transgender girls between 12 and 15 will be approved to play ladies football subject to approval by a new transgender application committee. And it goes on to say that a transgender player over the age of 16 can compete in women's football only after providing medical records showing their testosterone levels in the previous 12 months were less or equal to 10 nanomoles per litre. And the new policy will apply to club and county ladies football. Um, so it's for players over the age of 16 in, in terms of the whole uh, medical records there, if my reading that is correct. I think actually 12 to 15, they well. also have to have medical records. Uh, they don't okay. have to have the... Testosterone. The test. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you see a lot of young people as well at that age um, wouldn't necessarily have had, had any medical uh, treatment, even if their families are supportive. They're probably socially transitioning. Yes. Um, so, it, you know, it's kind of forcing young people into a medical space that isn't necessary but that's not saying I think people have concerns so it's important to listen to everyone because I think obviously around trans issues it's the fairness in sport is a very emotive issue yeah so I think what I'd recommend really strongly is just to continue that consultation and listen to everyone and also listen to it's very small number of people who are trans um, so it gets a lot of media attention, but actually on the ground, um, I don't think it, it 
doesn't affect a large amount of people. So I think it's it's worth it. Mm. These these kind of onerous measures tend to be just off-putting, um, and therefore it's better just to talk through and see is there a, a better way for everyone, um, really, than force. I suppose, yeah, young people just won't participate. I, I think that's a real fear for our community as well. They, um, mm. And obviously we know that participation in sport is much more healthy and, and it builds integration and all of that. So, yeah, yeah difficult one. It is a difficult one. Uh, are you in favour of testosterone level testing in any format, depending on age? Yeah, I mean, I'm. I know there's. I, I'm not hugely fay on it now, to be honest with you. But there is a lot of um, thought going into it in at, at sporting in sporting bodies and at, at at a higher level, like say at Olympic level and so on. So I think, again, it's. I think going back to the fact that we're looking at two different things. So we have like obviously elite athletes, and that's where the Olympic, so say those tests, for mm. example, were developed. Yeah. And then you have community sports, young people, um, which can be equally. Look, I've two young, I've two young fellas. I know what it's like. It can be very competitive okay. at even at the most junior level. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think there's also the health benefits of young people participating in sports. So it has to be balanced. So I think, uh, yeah, I suppose those those tests were developed at a much more competitive elite level, and and um, there's very very small number of trans mm. people that would be at that level so it does feel like a hammer to crack a nut yeah well we'll have to leave it there uh, the CEO of LGBT Ireland Paula Fagan thank you for joining us on Galway Talks news is next Galway Talks in association with Tesco click and collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you